0: I began last week's message by asking if you've ever had what you might call a mountaintop experience in your walk with Christ, if you've ever had a moment where you were made just especially aware of God's presence, where the Lord revealed his glory to you in, in a significant way, a marvelous way, a time when he greatly strengthened your faith. In his blessing and his wisdom, God does provide moments like that for us along the way in the Christian life, moments where, where everything just seems clear, and, and our faith is made strong as we behold Jesus. God gives us these strengthening, strengthening moments, these fortifying moments for our faith, but even more often, I think we find ourselves not on the mountain, but in the valley of our struggles to follow Christ by faith. Significant periods of our lives as disciples of Jesus are not lived up on the mountaintop, but rather in the valley where we struggle to understand and believe and rejoice in the gospel. The good news that we're going to see this morning is that Jesus does not only reveal himself on the mountain. Jesus does not only reveal himself to us on the mountain, he reveals himself to us in the valley as well. Not only that, but this morning we will see that there is a glory to behold in Jesus from the valleys of our struggles that we never could behold on the mountain. And that is the glory of his infinite patience toward us. The glory of his infinite patience. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 17. We're continuing our series, Following the Fulfillment, and our passage this morning is Matthew 17, verses 9 through 23. This section that we're in follows what we might consider the very heart and core of the Gospel of Matthew that we've been in the last few weeks in chapters 16 and 17. Really, we've seen three movements uh, the last few weeks. First, we saw Peter confess the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Savior King who had come From his people. After that affirmation of truth, Jesus shockingly informed his disciples that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and die. And not only that, but that they were going to have to follow on that same path if they were going to follow him to final glory. Well, this idea of a suffering Messiah just made no sense to the disciples. And so, in order to fortify their faith, Jesus took his inner three. We saw last week up on the Mount Peter, Peter's mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them. His appearance was altered. He shone forth the resplendent brightness of divine glory. Moses and Elijah appeared with him, communing with the same glory that they had communed with in the Old Testament stories. And the Father's distinct glory came down in the cloud as he affirmed who Jesus is and called the disciples into him. This is where we've been, significant. Movements in the Gospel of Matthew, leading us to where we are today. Our passage today follows immediately after this confession of Christ's identity, this prediction of Christ's sufferings, and this revelation of Christ's glory. Now we see the disciples going back down the mountain into the real world. Let's read Matthew, starting at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. They pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. He rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. These verses reveal two realities to us the reality of struggling disciples, and the reality of a perfectly patient Savior. And here's the main idea that we're going to see this morning. No matter how much we struggle to follow Christ by faith, Christ's patience toward us will never run out. No matter how much we struggle to follow Christ by faith, we will never exhaust his patience toward us. No matter how much we struggle to follow Christ by faith, Christ will never give up on us. We're going to see this worked out this morning by looking at three days that we see the disciples struggling in this passage and how Christ responds each time with continual patience toward them. Three ways that we see the disciples struggling. First, struggle one, we see their confusion in verses 9 through 13. The disciples' confusion. Look again at verse nine with me. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now I just want to ask you have you ever had something super exciting to share? But you had to wait to share it. Maybe the announcement of a pregnancy. Anybody? This is your chance, okay. Uh, maybe a promotion, you're going to get at work. Like these That's just the worst, isn't it? When you, when you, you want to share something, but you, you want to tell somebody, but you can't. Well, think about how these three must have felt when they heard this instruction from Jesus. I mean, they just saw Jesus' divine glory unveiled. They were literally in the cloud of God's presence, not to mention that Moses and Elijah were there, and they couldn't tell anybody, not even the other disciples. Jesus says, not until I've been raised from the dead. Okay, now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if someone's talking about being raised from the dead, that means that person is planning on dying, right? And that seems to be where the disciples' minds go when they hear this instruction. If he's talking about being raised from the dead, and that means he, he's still thinking he needs to go suffer and die in Jerusalem. He's still on that. And they're still not embracing. And so they pose this question of Jesus in verse 10. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now, it might not be obvious at first, but we need to see the implicit connection between Jesus' assertion about being raised from the dead and their question. He just claimed once again that he must die and rise again, and their response is to ask this, if you are the Messiah, and we believe you are, then according to the scribes, that means Elijah is supposed to come first. But when Elijah comes, the, the day of the Lord is going to come, and the restoration of all things will happen. And, and so, how could you die? If Elijah comes first, if all things are restored, then you suffer, Jesus. See, they're trying to put the pieces together. It's not just a random question about Elijah. This really is a question about how Christ's prediction of suffering fits into their understanding of the scriptures. This is the specific struggle of the disciples in these verses. They are confused. With how the scriptures are working themselves out in the real world. They're they're perplexed. They they don't get it. They can't fit the different puzzle pieces together. D.A. Carson says they were unable to find a framework in which they can believe that the Messiah could die. It's just a category that they cannot figure out. We, too, struggle with confusion. On this side of the cross and resurrection, we're, we're not as confused with that part of the story, but we're, we're still very confused sometimes with how God's word and God's promises are working themselves out in our lives and in our world and in our church. On the mountaintop, everything seems clear to us. Everything seems wonderful, but in the valley, we often are perplexed. We ask things like, why, Lord? How, Lord? What, what about this, We struggle with confusion. How does the Lord respond to us when we're struggling like this? Just imagine the way Jesus could have responded to Peter, James, and John. I mean, they literally had just seen the transfiguration. They just heard the Father's voice affirm who he is and say, listen to him. And yet, they question the very first word out of Jesus' mouth on the way down the mountain. But don't the scribes say this, Jesus. They immediately struggle to heed the Father's instruction and listen to Jesus. And Jesus could have sharply rebuked them. He could have said, did you already forget what you just saw? Why are you questioning me? Why can't you just listen to me? But he doesn't. Good teachers never despise questions from their students. And like a good teacher, Jesus patiently ministers to them in their confusion with his continued instruction. He just continues to teach them. Verses 11 and 12, he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. You see, Jesus speaks into their confusion about his mission by helping them to discern and interpret the way that scripture was unfolding. And verse 13 gives us this encouraging moment that shows us the effect of his instruction. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Now, they didn't understand everything yet, as we'll see. They didn't understand the whole story. They were, just one more piece of the puzzle was put in place, and they they, they were understanding a little more than they did as Jesus patiently continued to instruct them. His patient instruction began to clear away their confusion and this is just the patience of Christ. So The patience of Christ to, to not respond in anger when his disciples come with questions. To, that's not how he responds to us. Are you confused this morning about the scriptures? Are you confused about your life as a follower of Christ? Are you confused about the way things are working out in the world, in our church? these things perplex you and confuse you? Do you do not understand the the trials God has you in a while? Have you ever asked, would you add this on top of this on top of this in my life? Well, understand that Jesus is a patient teacher who meets you in your confusion and invites you to come under the ministry of his instruction. He doesn't give up on those who struggle to understand. He patiently teaches us little by little. And things that once seemed so unclear begin to make more sense to us. I want to clarify something here. It's not that every question we might ask will be answered. But we're wrong to not pursue his instruction. We won't, we, he won't answer every question in this life. But there, there is truth to understand in the word of God. And Christ will teach it to us as we commit ourselves to him. He invites us to come and receive his instruction. And he will give us all the understanding that we need to keep following him in faith. That's the promise. He he might not answer every question, but he will give us all we need to continue the path of the cross. When we struggle with confusion, Christ patiently responds with his continual instruction to us. God for his patience. The second struggle we see is the disciples' ineffectiveness. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Now, remember, there there were other disciples who did not join Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's just a good reminder to us that not everyone has the same mountaintop experiences, not everyone experiences those things at the same time. We're in different places in the room this morning, right? These disciples had remained down on earth, so to speak. And they were just seeking to carry out the regular rhythms of ministry that Jesus had given to them. They were preaching the kingdom of God, and they were displaying the power of that coming kingdom. Or at least they were trying to display the power of that coming kingdom. The only problem was that they were failing to do so. The moment Jesus reaches the crowd at the bottom of the mountain, a desperate father falls down before Jesus on behalf of his son, His son's having seizures. His son is throwing himself into fire, throwing himself into water. We find out as the text unfolds that he's possessed by a demon and this father had brought his son to his disciples who Jesus had given authority to cast out demons. But the father tells Jesus, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. They couldn't help. They were unable to carry out the ministry Jesus had entrusted to them. Jesus' response highlights the theme of patience that we see in this passage. In verse 17, he says, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Have you ever felt that way towards someone's struggles? Just how long until you understand and grow? Jesus' words reveal a deep sense of struggle. Think about it. Moments after hearing the comforting and reassuring words of his Father in Heaven, he's surrounded by pervasive unbelief. And we see here in his words what a test this was for Jesus to continue when he was surrounded by faithlessness on every side. It was difficult to keep on ministering to those who consistently failed to trust in him. Well, if it were us, we... Sinful, fallen human beings, we have very short leashes, don't we? I mean, our patience can be incredibly thin sometimes. And we might say, if we were in his shoes, enough is enough. I'm done with this. How long? That long. <laughs> no, no more. I, I, I'm going back to heaven. We're, we're done with this project. But Jesus is not like that. Though tested by pervasive and continual unbelief, he never threw up his hands and said, I'm done with you people. He didn't give up and go back to heaven. Instead, look what he does. First, he heals the man's son. Verse 18, Jesus said, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Jesus steps in where the disciples had failed, and he provides mercy to this father and his son. And then in verse 19, we read this. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? That's very interesting to realize that the disciples were surprised that they couldn't cast it out. They didn't know why they couldn't cast it out. They thought they would be able to. They'd done it before. They believed they could again. And, and, and they, didn't, they didn't know why they were ineffective. And so they asked Jesus, Why did we fail? I just want to pause here and ask Are there ways that you are struggling to be effective in your following after Jesus? Are there ways that you are struggling? to be fruitful as a follower of Christ. Like the disciples, are you struggling to do the things that Christ has empowered you to do? I mean, they have been given power to cast out demons, but they were unable to do so. Maybe for you, you're struggling to put your sin to death. Christ has given you power to do that. He he, he has put his Holy Spirit in you, and yet you're ineffective in that, you're, you're, not, you're not doing it, you're, you're struggling. You're failing again and again. Well, how does Christ respond to that? How does Christ respond to you as you struggle to be effective in doing the things that he has called you and empowered you to do? And here's what we find in verse 20. Jesus responds with honest encouragement. This is the response of a perfectly patient Savior to his struggling disciples. Honest encouragement. He is honest with them. Look at verse 20. Because of your little faith. He doesn't pull any punches with his disciples. He tells them what the problem is. Your faith is small You are struggling to believe and you cannot carry out effective ministry apart from faith. You cannot do the things that I've called you to do and empowered you to do apart from faith. That's the problem. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just leave them there exposed as failures. He's honest, but he's also encouraging. He doesn't just tell them why they failed. He tells them how they will succeed. He says, for truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, he doesn't just focus on their failure. He doesn't give up on them because of it. He encourages them toward the growth that he will bring to them as their faith increases. As their faith grows and as they understand more of who he is and what he came to do, He said, there's a day coming when when even your little faith will move mountains. And he encourages them to continue moving forward as his disciples. Now again, think about your own struggles. If you're struggling to be effective in your following of Christ, know this. Jesus will not stop bearing with you. He isn't going to give up on you. He invites you to come to him and receive his honest encouragement through his word. He invites you to come to him, as the disciples did, and ask, why am I failing, Lord? What is making me ineffective? Search me, know me, try me, and see, and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me what's there, and help me to grow. And that's what Jesus does for us. He exposes our unbelief. He exposes our sins. He he shows us all the nasty things in our hearts. But then he encourages us, and he equips us, and he helps us to grow toward a fuller faith in him. He will remind us that through faith nothing is impossible. If you're struggling with being effective in your walk, if you're struggling to put sin to death, if you're struggling to follow Christ, know that Jesus in his perfect patience invites you this morning to come to him and receive his honest encouragement through the scriptures. This is his glorious patience to us. He meets us in our confusion with continual instruction. He meets us in our ineffectiveness with honest encouragement. And now let's look at the final struggle, the disciples' distress. The disciples' distress. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So as soon as all the disciples are back together, Jesus picks up right where he left off the last time they were all together. He continues to press home to the struggling disciples what's about to happen. He says, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill me, and then I'm going to be raised. And then I'm going to rise again on the third day. His path as the Messiah is the path of suffering, death, and resurrection. His disciples hear this again, and this time they don't protest. This time they don't question. This time they simply grieve. They're greatly distressed. And it's like they're not even hearing the words, and then I will be raised. (laughs) They're not even hearing them. All they're hearing is, and they will kill him. And they will kill me. And it makes them absolutely despondent. They can't get past those words to the words of resurrection. They just stay on the death and and allow themselves to go to this place of distress and grief. Church, the gospel is good news. It is, in fact, the greatest and most wonderful message in all of history. It is the indescribably good news that the one true God who created everything and created us has sent His Son to save us from an eternity of judgment for our sins and to give us eternal life in His presence. It's the wonderful news that the Son of God took on flesh, died for our sins, rose again, and that in His death and resurrection, sin and hell and death have been defeated once and for all. It's the comforting and hopeful news that after death comes resurrection life for all who believe in Him. This is the gospel. This is good news. This is something we should always rejoice in. And yet, sometimes we hear that good news and it just does not register with us. We just live in the distress of the valleys we are in and we refuse to hear Jesus' comforting words and then I will be raised. We just don't hear it. Like the disciples, we struggle to rejoice in the good news of Jesus and instead we determine I'm going to acquaint myself with grief. I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to think about resurrection. I'm just going to stay in my distress. We struggle in our grief. And when we do that, when we live in distress, when we should be rightly rejoicing in the gospel, how does Jesus respond to us? Well, it's interesting. Here, Jesus is not recorded as saying anything more to them. And I think we see the patience of Christ in that he perceives that in their struggle to understand what he's saying and to believe it, he understands that they're not going to hear, they're not going to hear anything else at this point in time. Sometimes when people are struggling and they're suffering and they're in pain, yes, there's truth to give them, but it's not the time to do it. That's not what they, they're not going to hear it. Yes, it's true. Yes, they need to hear it, but they're not going to hear it. And Jesus doesn't say any more words of reassurance to them in this moment. But that doesn't mean he's giving up on them. He doesn't give up on them. The gospel of Matthew keeps moving forward. This is not the end of the book, is it? They're distressed. But what does Jesus do? As we read forward in Matthew, he just keeps on instructing them, he keeps on helping them, he keeps on building their faith. They continue to struggle in a variety of ways. And Jesus just continually invests in them. And then when the time comes for him to finally be delivered into the hands of men, here's what we read in Matthew chapter 26. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So he continues ministering to them, continues teaching them, continues instructing them. Now the hour's here and they all leave him. Well then what? Even then. Jesus still continued on the path of the cross. He still suffered many things. He still laid his life down for his struggling disciples. And here's the point. Do you you want to know the measure of Christ's patience toward you in your struggles? Do you want to know how Jesus ultimately answered the question, how long am I to be with you? How, How long? Well, the cross is the answer to that question. The cross speaks to us that Christ's patience toward our struggles has no breaking point. The cross tells us that he will never reach that point where he says, I'm done with you. This is why Jesus came down the mountain of transfiguration. Because he was going to climb a different mountain. He was going to go up Golgotha and he was going to be crucified to save his struggling people. And if Jesus has done that for us, church, if he died for us, then then we can be sure that he will never give up on us when we struggle now. Not when we're confused, not when we're ineffective, not when we're distressed. The cross is our assurance that no matter how much we struggle to follow Christ by faith, we will never exhaust his patience toward us. His infinite patience I'll make three applications this morning as I close. First, we've been talking this morning about Jesus' infinite patience toward struggling disciples. But what if you aren't one of his disciples? Where, where, where do you fit into this discussion? What if you're outside of Christ? What if you've never repented of your sins and trusted in him? Well, if that is you this morning, here's what I want you to hear. God has already been unbelievably patient toward you. Every day you live, every breath you breathe, it is because of his patience. In your sin, you do not deserve anything good from him, and yet he continues to give you life. But here's what the scripture says in Romans 2:4: Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, the fact that you are living and breathing and blessed by day is an expression of his patience not an expression that you're okay. It doesn't mean you're okay. It means that God is patiently calling you to repent of your sins and trust in him to believe in Christ and be saved. God's patient invitation to repentance is available today, but it will not last forever. Outside of Christ, if you do not respond in repentance and faith to his patience today, you do not know how long that invitation will last. You do not know how long your life will be And so if that's you, I urge you this morning to recognize that God has been patient with you so that you would repent and be saved. And do that this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Second application. I said at the beginning of the message that there is a glory to behold in the valley that we cannot behold on the mountain. For you who are struggling today in the valley of confusion, the valley of ineffectiveness, the valley of distress, Behold this morning the glory of Jesus in the valley. See and rejoice in his infinite patience that expresses itself toward you in continual instruction, honest encouragement, sacrificial commitment. This is the glory of a gentle and patient Savior. This is the amazing thing about the Christian life is that if you are in Christ, even in your struggles, you can rejoice and rest in Christ's infinite patience toward you. We don't need to wonder, ever, is he going to give up on me now? We don't ever need to ask that question if we are in Christ and rejoice in that glory. He is a God of infinite patience. And finally, church, I call you this morning to live out Christ's perfect patience toward one another. Live it out toward one another. Take on an attitude of forbearance and patience and a coming alongside each other when we struggle. Commit to speaking biblical truth into each other's lives when we're confused. Commit to being honest encouragers to each other when we're struggling with sin. And commit to a pattern of sacrificial love toward each other even when the person is so distressed that they won't hear anything from you. The truth is that we could never be more patient toward each other than Christ has been toward us. And so as the expression of our worship to an infinitely patient Savior, by his Holy Spirit's power in us, let's extend his patience to each other. And may we be marked by the fruit of patience as a church.